You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. Uh, Thanks for joining me. This is a late Monday review, only because there, there was so many injuries in week two uh i've never seen anything like this i mean it it was crazy i think uh in this monday night football game adam shafter reported uh six acl injuries this weekend i mean that's crazy right there um you know you would have thought that maybe you know something like this did happen maybe week one would be when it happened you know without preseason without you know a big camp without players you know really really having the entire time to get in shape and all that, um, but no, it's week two. But yeah, I want to get right into it. I'm gonna go over uh, every game uh, from week two, kind of go over all the fantasy implications. There was a lot, so let, let's get started. Uh, Bengals Browns, all the way back from Thursday night. Um, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, both came through for fantasy. Uh, now, while this game was relatively close, it seemed like Nick Chubb was the one who the Browns were riding as part of their game plan. They, they wanted to run the ball primarily, and it was Chubb who they were running the ball with. And, with, you know, Kareem Hunt was coming in on passing downs. If you look at that first half on Thursday night, Chubb outtouched Hunt 13-3. to He outsnapped Hunt 21-11. to And in the second half, Hunt got a lot of his touches once the Browns were trying to run out the clock with the Browns up 35-23 with a little less than six minutes left. And that's when Hunt ended up getting into the game. And Chubb started off that drive. Um, He took his first carry for four yards, took his second carry for 26 yards, and then Chubb came out after that big gain, and Hunt took over for the rest of that drive. He he had a 33-yard run, he stayed in for a few more good runs, and then he got the goal line carry on that drive. Um, if you have Chubb, I think this game was encouraging from a usage standpoint. I think the Browns revolved that game around Chubb, uh, not necessarily just the running game, because if it was just the running game, it would be Chubb, Hunt, kind of mixed interchangeably, kind of like how you saw uh, the Chargers do it, you know, with Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly, and we'll get there. Uh, but it was mostly revolved around Chubb. Now, as far as Hunt goes, um, if anyone views him as a high-end RB2, or something like that. Like I think I would trade him if I w- if I could. Um, he's still usable going forward as a high upside flex and c- can potentially put up RB two numbers and like in this case put up RB one numbers. You know, a, a number of weeks this year, in, in especially in PPR leagues. Um, but there is an opportunity here that I wouldn't want to let go of just in case other people might overvalue him. Um, OBJ got six targets, twenty six percent target share. Uh, he had 10 targets in week one against Baltimore. So he's being targeted at a, at a very healthy rate. And in the Baltimore game, it was just a bad game overall. And they couldn't get their game plan going. Um, but that long touchdown that he had with Baker, the connection there was great to see. 
Um, Austin Hooper, uh, I don't think he's going to be a thing this year. I'm, I'm okay dropping him if you have him. Uh, Joe Mixon caught all four of his targets for 40 yards. Uh, that was a great sign, and you, and you needed that after Mixon took his uh, 16 carries for only six, 46 yards uh, against the Browns. Uh, but Gio Bernard, you know, he's going to continue to come in on passing downs and in hurry-up situations, so that's where the upside is limited for Mixon. But four receptions, 20 total touches is a good thing, two weeks in a row. Uh, he's a buy low candidate for me. Uh, I think he'll be a solid RB two all year all, all year long. Um, once this offense gets it together a little bit, if you look at Mixon's vibes right now, it's not good. And uh, anybody who's getting twenty touches a game, especially somebody as talented as Mixon with this offense on the up, I think that's when you kind of strike and you buy low. Um, another potential buy low candidate, uh, AJ Green saw thirteen targets. Only caught three for 29. Uh, in week one, he saw nine targets. So he's seeing a ton of air yards as well. Uh, and usually a player like this would be uh, an easy uh, buy-low candidate. I- I'm personally not buying. He, you know, He's a guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's 32 years old, right? So if you're going to buy him, I would personally only trade him if I have a couple of guys on my bench that I haven't been using You know, that have some trade value. Um, you know, But if he doesn't get hurt, you know, him and Joe Burr should be able to connect at some point. Um, for me, I just like, I would just shoot myself, you know, I, I feel like I'll be shooting myself in the foot if I trade for an asset like that, you know, if he gets hurt in a week or two after I trade a couple of legit assets, I would be a little pissed because <laughs> I, I should have known better. Um, moving on to the next game. 49ers Jets, uh, Raheem Mostert, huge 80-yard runner early in the game, left early with a knee injury. Initial reports are that it's an MCL injury, most likely out this week, potentially uh, another week or two after that. Uh, but Tevin Coleman, he took his 14 carries for 12 yards. That's not, that's not, I did, I did say that, right? 14 carries for 12 yards. Um, but he also hurt his knee. Shanahan said that he has a knee in spray, and he said that he's concerned about that. Um, that's not a good sign. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, he broke off a 50-yard run on like a third and like very long. And he's the guy who can get the lion's share of work in week three against the Giants. Uh, he was already their best pass catcher out of the backfield. He was being used in the red zone. Uh, so he's only going to add to that, right? He's in the RB2 conversation for next week. I think he'll be one of the top waiver ads this week. Now, don't be surprised if Jeff Wilson is involved and if he if he's like the goal line guy, if they get there. Um, don't be surprised if uh, their undrafted guy, Jermichael Hasty, is involved. He got some juice as well. He might be promoted from the practice squad. You know, I think Kyle Shanahan isn't the type to deploy a workhorse type of back, but I think he will use a guy like Jared McKinnon pretty creatively and have him on the field enough to where he can produce for fantasy. He's already been producing. He has two touchdowns in two straight weeks, and he's getting it done. He's showing some juice, and this is the guy that he handpicked a couple years ago, and he's shown that he still got it. You know, He worked hard to make his way back from injury, and he might get a little bit of opportunity you know, this coming week, and we'll see if that continues over the next couple weeks if these guys continue to be out. Jordan Reed. Came in for Georgia Kittle this week. Caught seven balls for 50 yards and two touchdowns. Now, if Kittle's out again next week, he'll definitely be on the streaming radar. He has to be. Uh, Kittle's dealing with a bone bruise and a knee sprain. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's out again in week three. They they kind of understated that 
uh, for week two. He didn't practice. They said that he wasn't going to practice all week, but he might be available for week three. Everyone just assumed that, I'm sorry, for week two, and everyone just assumed that he was going to be available, and he wasn't. And I think there's a possibility that he's out again in week three, but we'll see. Um, Frank Gore led the Jets in carries without Le'Veon Bell with 21. He couldn't do much with it. I think he averaged, averaged around three yards per carry. They play the Colts next week. Um, another form of team of Gores, so I think the Jets should be dedicated to the Frank Gore farewell tour this year because I don't know what else they would dedicate the season to. Uh, please fire please fire Adam Gase. Um, Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios led the team with eight targets each in the absence of any pass catchers for the Jets. Chris Herndon, inexplicably, four targets. He was in on too many blocking plays on Sam Darnold's dropbacks. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. I'm dropping his ass at this point. When, when Adam Gase gets fired, I'll pick him back up. Buffalo, Miami, uh, Stefan Diggs killing it two weeks in a row. 13 targets this week, caught eight of them for 153 yards and a touchdown. Caught eight of nine for 86 in week one. John Brown definitely had the toughest matchup of the two, which can explain the target gap. Um, but Brown came through at the end with a 46-yard touchdown. Uh, Diggs is a solid wide receiver too right now, but keep in mind that he will likely get the Jalen Ramsey shadow next week against the Rams. Uh, John Brown will remain an upside flex every week, you know, unless the targets are, are more even going forward like they were in week one. Um, then he'll be closer to wide receiver three. I mean, he's put up wide receiver two numbers so far. You know, we'll see how sustainable that is. And, and, and believe it or not, the Bills have actually been the most pass-heavy team of any team in the league over the first two weeks. And, you know, Josh, Josh Allen, he has been killing it, right? He's a QB1 right now. Easy. Um, it's hard to find, like, five, six, seven QBs. You're going to start over him uh, every week at this point. So um, he's in every week. Diggs is in every week. John Brown, you know, it's hard to bench him right now. Um that backfield, Zach Moss, he played on 56% of snaps in the first half. Um, Singletary playing the rest. Both had seven opportunities. Um, Singletary did get some carries near the goal line, but apparently Moss was hurt. So this is why I bring up the first half opportunities. Um, you know, because if Moss didn't get hurt, or I'm not sure what happened there, but he did play more snaps in the first half. Um, now, either way, it seems like the snaps and touches were relatively even in that first half. You know what I mean? So, you know, this is going to be that sort of timeshare going forward unless somebody truly breaks out, and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Miles Gaskin, on the other side of the ball, on Miami, he should be picked up in PPR leagues. I would say 12-team leagues at this point. 10-team um, leagues maybe, you know, if you have deep, a deep bench. Um, but he only had seven carries, right? And so did Mabrita. Jordan Howard had five, but he also had seven targets. He caught six of them for 36 yards, and he caught four of four targets in week one. So this type of usage where you're leading in rushing and receiving, um, especially when you're getting these type of targets consistently, um, that, that just makes you fantasy relevant in PPR leagues as a running back. 65% um, of snaps, that's legit. Devontae Parker proved that he's the number one wide receiver in the Dolphins. He got eight targets. Preston Williams getting five. He caught only one of them. Both had tough matchups. Parker still caught 5 of 53 and a touchdown. Um, these are both by low candidates right now, especially Parker. Um, but Mike Gesicki, he had a huge game. Caught 8 of 11 for 130 yards and a touchdown. This was his breakout game. Saw this coming at some point this year. Uh, great performance by him. Have to start him next week against the Jaguars. We just saw John o. Smith have a big game 
against them on Sunday. Broncos Steelers, Drew Locke got hurt, Jeff Driscoll came in, played okay, uh, but looks like Locke will be out for the next few weeks uh, with an HC joint sprain at the very least. He also had a, a, a quote-unquote severe rot- rotator cuff strain as well, so I think they're going to have him out two weeks, reevaluate, and then he could be out longer than that. Um, either way, Melvin Gordon played a bell cow role with, with Philip Lindsay out. He played 79% of snaps, had 22 opportunities. Um, that kind of opportunity is it's borderline RB1 opportunity, but on this offense, you know, you kind of put him in the RB2 range. Um, Gordon had a tough matchup, but he came through. Uh, now another tough matchup on the schedule against the Bucks, but I would say still a solid RB2. Uh, Noah Fant, another good day. He's a tight end one at this point. Uh, Jeff Driscoll is the QB, but at least it was Driscoll who threw the 20-yard p- touchdown pass to Fant. Corton Sutton, unfortunately, came into the game with a shoulder injury. He came out of the game with a knee injury. It turned out to be a torn ACL. Uh, he's out for the year. So Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, he, they would be the main beneficiaries You know, from an opportunity perspective. Um, sucks for Sutton. Uh, couldn't get this year going. It could have been a interesting offense, you know, with Drew Locke, you know, got it together and uh, Sutton was, you know, all right. And they, they also had Philip Lindsay hurt. It was not a good start for that Denver offense this year. Um, on, the other si- on the other side of the ball, James Conner silenced all the doubters. Uh, he was the bell cow for the Steelers in this game, played 77% of snaps. If you didn't play him, I don't blame you. Um, I didn't play him in a couple places. This situation has a lot of variables surrounding it, including Connor potentially getting hurt again, a potential committee with Snell, you know, after his performance in week one. But nope, plugged right back in. And if you have Snell, I would hold him on my bench. You just never know when Connor is going to get hurt again. If you look last year, it seemed like it was every other game. Um, I'm, listen, I'm hoping Connor stays healthy because the upside is there. I drafted him in a few spots. I'm not going to hold my breath, though. Um, but I'm still going to play Connor as an RB2, but I'm going to be nervous, no doubt. Uh, Deontay Johnson led the Steelers with 13 targets a week after getting 10 targets. Uh, dude has a 32% target share from Big Ben. Uh, that's a great thing. Only DeAndre Hopkins and Adam Thielen has a higher share of team targets than Johnson does through two weeks. He caught 8 for 92 in a touchdown. Um, Chase Claypool caught an amazing 84-yard touchdown pass. It was an awesome play, uh, but he only saw three targets uh, in this game. Uh, Juju caught seven of eight targets for 48 yards. His depth of target was a little bit low compared to Deontay's. Um, start Deontay as a fringe wide receiver two going forward. Uh, Juju still a wide receiver two, low and wide receiver one, if anything, as well uh, in PPR leagues. So uh, it just wasn't his game this week. You know, if you're looking for a wide receiver in a PPR league, I would target Juju after this game. All right, Viking Colts, Dalvin Cook saved both Fantasy Sundays so far with touchdowns, but his usage is down a bit, especially in the passing game. Two targets last week, two targets this week, 12 carries last week, 14 carries this week. The Vikings overall have not looked like a good team, but either way, they need to give Cook more touches. That, that could potentially be one solution. Um, at least he's getting the touchdowns, though, saving your fantasy days. Um, now, this week, he played 80% of snaps, which is a good sign. Madison was a little bit too involved for people who had Cook in week one. Um, Adam Thielen, he led the Vikings with eight targets. He only caught three of 31. Cousins only threw the ball 26 times. And when you look at it, 
the Colts held onto the ball. You know, Jonathan Taylor, I'm going to get to it, but he ran the ball a ton, right? The Colts held onto the ball for 38 minutes. That, that left the Vikings with only 21 minutes or so of offensive possession. That's absolutely terrible. And, and now that I look at, you know, I look at that, that's probably why Cook didn't get many touches. So, and that's probably why Thielen only got eight targets. And eight targets isn't a low number, but I think Thielen probably would have got more because there's not much behind him. Um, and I think the reason for that time of possession, like I said with Jonathan Taylor, RB1, workhorse. 66% of snaps, 26 carries, two targets, 28 total opportunities. Um, and guess how many targets the next coming of uh, Danny Woodhead, Naheem Hines got? One target. He caught one ball for four yards after catching all eight of his targets in a timeshare with Marlon Mack, who both played ahead of Jonathan Taylor in week one. After their head coach talked him up all offseason as being that guy, catching balls on all three downs, and then all of a sudden, one target. Now, I wasn't huge on Hines coming into the season, but after seeing what I saw in week one, you know, I thought it was obvious that Hines was going to be a big part of their passing game. And Paris Campbell got hurt early in the game too, and he still didn't get more work, which was super interesting to me. But anyway, Taylor, you know, he was an RB1, you know, once Matt got hurt, obviously, and that was confirmed in a big way on Sunday. Passing, passing work will come, just like it was there last week. Naheem, Naheem Hines will probably be involved once again, you know, uh, game to game. We'll see if, if it stays consistent. But from here on out, probably not. But um, with Paris Campbell hurt, he'll probably be more involved. And Jonathan Taylor should get some more targets in more competitive games. Uh, but back to Paris Campbell, it seems as though uh, he avoided a season-ending injury, but that's not confirmed yet. We'll see. Uh, he didn't tear his ACL, but he had an MRI. It turns out to be an MCL-PCL injury. Uh, there's no timeline given on that. They said he'll be out indefinitely. Uh, Frank Reich said that they're not sure whether he'll need a procedure on the need to repair it. So he's still, a M- he's still we don't know what's going to happen there. I'm probably going to keep him on my bench for now. If it's more than like a few weeks, I'm okay dropping him. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, another disappointing day in a cake matchup. Rivers only threw the ball 25 times. Um, still had a 20% target share, but you would have hoped for more um, in this matchup. Uh, Mo Ali Cox, he went over 100 yards on six targets. So, you know what I mean? No one started Mo Ali Cox this week. Um, Michael Pittman, their rookie wide receiver, he played some extra snaps after the Campbell injury. Um, and, and he also, you know, he had the same amount of targets as Ali Cox for the team lead. Um, he should be a prospective pickup, Michael Pittman. Um, after seeing six targets in an increased role, um, don't expect the world, but it is interesting that he becomes that second wide receiver uh, to T.Y. Hilton. And who knows, with T.Y. Hilton's performance, can somebody outplay him? Maybe, but I, I think these two, week, two weeks were pretty disappointing from him. Jaguars, Titans, Gardner Minshew threw 45 times against the Titans uh, after throwing only 20 times in week one. Uh, but he, he spread the ball out like crazy. You would have thought Chark's, DJ Chark's targets would go way up, but it only went up to four from three. So he has seven targets total uh, over the last two weeks. He still led the team with 84 receiving yards this week. He caught all four of his targets. He caught all three of his targets in week one. Uh, but it is slightly concerning that Keelan Cole and Chris Conley had more targets than him. Cole caught a touchdown in both games so far as well. So I think he's a prospective pickup as well. He was supposed to be the man a couple of years ago and just fell off the face of the earth last year. 
didn't get the opportunity to be on the field. I think that was, that was more of a coaching thing. Um, I'm not selling Chark. You're not going to be able to get much from him for him right now. Don't sell low. I will continue to start him, but more as a wide receiver three. I would lower expectations for now um, and just hope for the best going forward. I think that will continue. He's a great player. He caught all of his targets. Him and Gardner Mitchell have a great connection. Um, I think we just have to wait on it uh, this year. Um, I think with the new coaching staff, that'll all come together. Um, James Robinson, great game. 16 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. Also had four targets. He caught three of them. So 20 opportunities, that's legit. He's creeping up to RB2 territory if this opportunity continues. He played on 51% of snaps with Chris Thompson playing the rest. Um, Now, on the other side of the ball, this was supposed to be a Derrick Henry game. He got 25 carries, but he had 84 scoreless yards. And Ryan Tannehill was the one who was doing all the work. Four passing touchdowns, two of them to John Smith, who had a great game on only five targets. But who knew? In a game without A.J. Brown, Tannehill would have one of the best games of his career. Corey Davis only had five targets, but he caught a touchdown as well. Falcons-Cowboys, this game was crazy. Cowboys were down a ton. They made a miraculous comeback. And then they had the most onside kick, the most insane onside kick play I've ever seen. If you guys saw the game, the ball gets kicked. And the Falcons just watch the ball go 10 yards. That 10-yard rule is only for the receiving, for the team that kicked the ball. They can't touch the ball until it goes 10 yards. So the Cowboys can't touch the ball until it goes 10 yards. The Falcons can touch the ball whenever they want. It's not a rule for them. So this was just an extreme special teams coaching blunder. And it all falls on Dan Quinn at the end of the day. So, insane. This is straight up on coaching. And the fact that these players don't have the rules too, like, come on. (laughs) You gotta gotta know these rules, man. It's crazy. Um, They just just gotta hop on that ball. There's like a few Falcons players around. They just hop on and game's over. But anyway. uh, Dak Prescott, fantasy stud, ran in for three touchdowns. He threw a touchdown. Um, his upside is obvious. Um, and that's why he was one of the only QBs I was willing to draft in the middle rounds. Um, but C.D. Lamb ended up leading the Cowboys in receiving with 106 targets. Uh, both him and Amari reached 100 yards on six catches. Both led the team with nine targets as well. Um, it looks like Lamb is becoming a dependable wide receiver three, potentially, especially in PPR leagues. Uh, their backup tight end behind Blake Jarwin had 10 targets. He caught nine of them for 88 yards and a touchdown. Imagine what Blake Jarwin, Jarwin, Jarwin would have done on that type of opportunity. Um, <laughs> probably something similar. Uh, but Michael Gallup only saw five targets. Disappointing game from him as well. Um, disappointing start from Michael Gallup, but I think he starts to pick it, uh, you know, to get it together. Uh, he's he's a good, really good wide receiver, so I'm hoping that he can get it together. But the presence of all of these options, you know, it's going to make it tough for all these guys to come through every week. Um, Calvin Ridley, another big game, another two-touchdown game from him. I, I guess he is this year's Chris Godwin. And in this game, it came at the expense of Julio Jones. I know Jones was a little banged up coming into the game, but, you know, he's always banged up. Um, Jones caught two or four balls for 26, 24 yards. Um in this amazing matchup for him. Um, but it was pretty terrible. Uh, Russell Gage had another nine targets. Caught six balls for 46 yards and a touchdown. Hayden Hurst also had his first good game with, with the Falcons. He caught five of 72 and a touchdown on eight targets. Um, everyone came through. Except Julio. Who, by the way, dropped an easy touchdown thrown by Russell Gage to him. 
So this is an amazing fantasy offense right here. Um, Julio Jones killed it in week one, so he'll be fine. Uh, but Russell Gage, he's top 10 in, in, in targets so far overall in the NFL. Pretty good. Rams, Eagles, Cam Akers got hurt early. He started the game, got the first few carries, and he was getting some run in the, run in the red zone when that happened, uh, and he had, a, he had a rib injury. So we'll see what the extent of that is. Uh, but Daryl Henderson had 14 touches to Malcolm Brown's 11. Uh, Brown did play more snaps, 54% for Brown, 42% for Henderson. And if you look a little bit deeper, keep in mind, Brown also left the game early, was a little bit limited because of a finger injury, um, and that was in the second half. If you look at the first half, Brown had 61% of snaps and had six carries, and Henderson had 29% of snaps and had three carries and one target. So Brown still seems like the guy as long as his itty-bitty finger is okay. Uh, but Henderson did do a good job on his touches and was efficient, and he looked good. So this backfield seems like it'll be in flux for a little while, um, especially once Akers gets healthy. Robert Woods, tough matchup against Darius Slay. He didn't do great, but he, at least he scored on that rushing touchdown. Um, I would be buying low right now on Robert Woods. Uh, Tyler Higby, man, only five targets. Three of them were touchdowns. And as I mentioned last week, he's playing the same role he played at the end of last year. So keep starting him. If that wasn't obvious after this game, I don't, I don't know what will make you put him in your lineup. Uh, but Miles Sanders made his season debut, and he was the bell cow. So yes, Doug Peterson deployed a, a bell cow. Congratulations. Uh, Miles Sanders, 20 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. Added three catches for 36 yards on seven targets. 27 total opportunities. Bell cow status. 77% of snaps is what you want to see. He did lose a fumble, and it didn't affect his playing time. So, awesome. Now, Devontae Freeman was supposed to visit with them, but Devontae Freeman will probably get the most opportunity in the, at the Giants. Um, so, we'll see where he ends up going. If he doesn't end up going to the Eagles, um, Miles Sanders is going to be, kill it this season. Giants at Bears. Uh, Saquon Barkley, unfortunately... As you all know, tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Uh, Deion Lewis played every snap after Barkley got hurt. Keep in mind, keep in mind, Wayne Gallman was not active for that game. He was a healthy scratch, and that that might make you think that Lewis is clearly ahead of Gallman. But it's really about a guy who can complement Saquon a little bit, you know, including being the pass protector that you know Deion Lewis is, being the pass catcher that he is. The other variable is the Giants potentially signing Devontae Freeman. So, you know, if they don't sign Freeman, I'd rather have Lewis, but I'm not going to spend a ton of money on him. He will be a flex, though, because he'll be the guy on passing downs. I can see him getting five to six targets per week. Uh, Gallman might be the early down guy, but I see uh, Lewis mixing in there as well. So I think it'll be a split, but Lewis is the more valuable of the two, I would say. Now, if Freeman signs before waivers hit, I would assume he becomes the guy. I think the difference between Freeman and Lewis might not be that big, to be honest, so there can be a timeshare there as well. But since Freeman is pretty capable in the pass game, too, um, he didn't look great in Atlanta last season. But if he plays 65 to like 70% of snaps, he's going to have a lot of value, and potentially as an RB2, um, starting out as a flex option. But we'll see how the situation works out. Now, if you lost Saquon Barkley, you know, or Christian McCaffrey for that matter, it's only week two. There are going to be opportunities for you to continue to improve your team starting this week so don't give up keep going it might seem somewhat insurmountable but it's just not true it's only week two 
you, if you persevere through this and show your skills as a fantasy manager to the rest of your league, that's the way to do it. So don't let's say Quan's injury define your 2020 fantasy season. Take ownership of it and keep doing your thing. A little pep talk for you. Um, Evan Ingram, eight targets, led the team. Darius Slayton saw six targets, only caught three balls, so down game for him. Sterling Shepard, turf toe injury. Uh, he might be out for a little bit, so I would keep Slayton in my lineups going forward, uh, including next week against the 49ers. You know, he's just a high upside flex option, and it's tough to like keep that type of upside that we've seen from him, you know, out of out of your lineup, especially if Sterling Shepard isn't going to play. Uh, on the other side of the ball, David Montgomery, he's looking pretty good right now for the Bears. Two weeks in a row where he looked good and is producing. He's averaging around five yards per carry over the last two weeks. He had three targets each of the last two weeks, which is what you want to see. Uh, he made a great play on one of these targets uh, on Sunday. I think he's a solid RB2 right now. I think my only concern with Montgomery is the fact that, you know, the upside is a little bit limited with Cordell Patterson getting seven carries in this game. Uh, Tariq Cohen getting five carries. Cohen on the field on passing downs, on a hurry up, that sort of thing. Um, but but he, he looks he looks good. Allen Robinson, um, he's underperformed the last two weeks. He's a buy-low candidate right now for sure. He had nine targets in this game. The next highest was three. Um, he was being covered by James Bradbury. So better days are coming, especially next week against the Falcons. Buy him now. I think like 40-something percent of his balls were uncatchable this year so far. <laughs> crazy Lions Packers now Adrian Peterson he was the main guy on early downs for the Lions in week one and then it turned into a real timeshare in week two I think De- so DeAndre Swift ended up with the most important touches he saw five targets he caught all five targets for 60 yards which is very encouraging five targets in week one as well so it seemed like this is going to be a thing he also led the Lions in snap share in week one and he was like a one percentage away of leading the snap share in week two. He is a hold right now, you know, on benches. You know, if you're not in a deep league, um, if you're in a deep league, he's a PPR flex play. Um, but as of right now, this backfield is a little bit of a mess. So, you know, we thought Peterson might be the guy on early downs, but Carryon Johnson got involved there this week. He was he got involved on, on a on one drive, and then he ended up getting the goal line carry and scoring. So who knows how this backfield is going to end up. But for now, at least we know that DeAndre Swift is their main pass catcher. And he's going to average between 40 or 50 plus percent of snaps. Aaron Jones on the other side of the ball absolutely killed it. Dude had 18 carries plus 8 targets on only 48% of snaps. That's unheard of. Dude is being heavily used in this offense, you know, whatever snaps he's in for the Packers. So, um... And if, if Devonta Adams misses time with that hamstring injury, if that thing is real, um, look for his targets to stay around that mark. That's what happened last year with when Adams missed. Aaron Jones was a huge part of the passing game. Um, now Devonta Adams had a tough game. He'll be fine. He'll recover from that. But he apparently had a hamstring injury. I'm not sure how serious it is, but the hope is that he doesn't have to miss time and only left the game because the Packers were in complete control of that game. But we'll see. Uh, nothing came out yet, but we'll see how those practice designations turn out for this week. Now, the DJ Moore by low window, I think, has relatively closed. He didn't score. Did he score a touchdown? He did not score a touchdown this week. So I guess you could still buy him if you wanted to, uh, but his targets were up there. Um, but this time he caught eight balls on 13 targets for 120 yards. Um, Robbie Anderson was second with 10 targets. Curtis Samuel's targets went all the way down to two. 
So after this game, it looks like Robbie is the clear two after the target stayed up there at 10. And the fact that he went over 100 yards again, and the fact that he's playing as many snaps as more, Anderson's looking like he's, he's, a, he's, he's a value right now, and he was a good waiver pickup last week. Um, but this is also a lesson in always starting your studs, despite a tough matchup. Right, DJ Moore had a tough matchup coming in against Carlton Davis, but you can't bench these guys guys because of it. Even if Davis did very well against Michael Thomas in Week One, it doesn't mean that he's an automatic. DJ Moore is an automatic bench in Week Two. Uh, matchups work out differently. You just don't know how how it's going to work out. Not every team runs the same scheme, and sometimes a guy gets a guy's number um, in in one particular week. It doesn't mean he does it every single week. So start your studs. Um, Christian McCaffrey, unfortunately. Has a high ankle sprain that was confirmed after an MRI. He'll be out four to six weeks potentially. Uh, Mike Davis is the pickup here. He's capable in both the run and pass game, and he can be a workhorse for them. Um, he's probably my number one waiver pickup this week. You know, it's between him, Josh Kelly, um, but Davis caught eight of eight for his you know eight of eight targets for seventy four yards. Legit. Um, now, I just want to say this. With Christian McCaffrey out a few weeks, you know, the usual prognosis, like in this case, is four to six weeks. Now, Dr. Edwin Poras on Twitter cited a study that showed that the average missed time for a high ankle sprain is one to three weeks in the NFL. The player can be impaired for four to six weeks now. So if McCaffrey comes back in three weeks, which is, you know, right at the back end of the average, let's say, you only have Davis for that long. Right, instead of four to six, McCaffrey can play. He might not be effective, but you're still done with Davis after that two to three week point, right? So two to three weeks of Mike Davis potentially being the workhorse in the offense with the ability to catch the football. That's pretty good, right? Um, and that's kind of what I will be aiming for um, and thinking of how long I will actually have Mike Davis for and how long he'll be usable for, if that makes sense. And it's possible. That if McCaffrey, you know, isn't 100%, that Davis is kind of mixed into that, into that, um, that, that mix a little bit, so that they don't have to play McCaffrey like 100% of snaps. Now on the other side of the ball, Mike Evans came through as a wide receiver one with Chris Godwin out, and I would actually look to aim to buy Evans low when Godwin is back, and and obviously he just had a great game, but a lot of people are going to think that okay, now Godwin is back. Now Evans isn't going to do as good, and then Godwin becomes the wide receiver one, right? A lot of people might assume that Evans goes back down to earth, you know, what he did in week one, which was nothing, you know, when he was a little bit banged up and he had a tough matchup, you know, but I don't think so. I think Evans will continue to be the wide receiver one there, and I would try to acquire him. Um, By the way, it does look like Chris Godwin has cleared the concussion protocol, according to Bruce Arians, so he's back in the lineup for week three. Now, Leonard Fournette, he ended up coming in and having a big game. Ronald Jones botched the snap. And there it was. That was Bruce Aaron's opportunity to bring in Fournette. Fournette took his 12 carries for 102 yards, including a 46-yard touchdown run towards the end of the game. Uh, Ronald Jones was averaging 3 yards per carry in a cake matchup. So it's very possible that it's Fournette's time at this point. Um, Fournette also saw 5 targets as well. He ended up playing 43% of snaps. Jones played on 34% of snaps. Now... We could see some fuckery from Bruce Arians next week. You know, sure, this is an unpredictable backfield in week three. You know, even though Fournette did the damage he did in week two, you never know. Arians is unpredictable when it comes to his backfields. Um, Joe, Ronald Jones can all of a sudden get 20 carries next week. I wouldn't be surprised. But I do think Fournette has the upper hand at this point. I think he's a risky 
flex play next week. He has like you know RB one upside potentially if he gets all the work and if if the snap percentages goes heavily in his favor. But we don't know what's going to happen. I think they have the Broncos next. Decent matchup. Um, we'll see. Uh, either way, it does seem like LaShawn McCoy is keeping his passing down job. Uh, but Fournette getting a couple, you know, getting five targets on early downs, that's that's legitimate um, if he continues to, to have that early down role. All right, Washington and Arizona. It looks like it's Antonio Gibson's time already. Peyton Barber, 17 carries in week one, one carry in week two. Gibson had 13 carries for 55 yards. He got red zone usage. He got a touchdown. 15 total opportunities on 65% of snaps. That's last legit right there. He's on the up. Don't drop him. Keep him. Trade for him before it really goes down. J.D. McKissick was second with 44% of snaps. Two-man backfield right now between these two guys. Peyton Barber's out of there. McKissick didn't get any targets, by the way. Gibson had two. So... I'm looking at Gibson as somebody whose volume can get even higher from here. And he looks good. So if he gets opportunity, he could be somebody that can can make a difference in in your league. Um, Terry McLaurin came through in a good matchup. Remember, uh, Patrick Peterson um, is not a matchup we need to stay away from anymore. You would know if you read my weekly matchup preview article (laughs) last week. He had a tough matchup week one. He didn't kill you. And now with a good matchup, he came through as a wide receiver one. Caught 7 of 10 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. I would get used to that. Logan Thomas had 9 targets as a tight end after 8 targets in week 1. The usage was great. He just didn't come through with the full with the full you know box score that you like. Uh, keep him on your roster. Pick him up. It'll, it'll come together for him. I think he's very involved in this offense right now. On the other side of the ball, Kenyon Drake out-touched Chase Edmonds 22-6. So a bigger difference than week 1. Snap share was 65-35 in favor of Drake. Um, so Edmonds, yeah, Edmonds did miss a wide open, um, well, Kyler missed him, but Edmonds was wide open for a touchdown and Kyler kind of, he was wide open, but Kyler missed him there. Kyler had an amazing game. So (laughs) he's, he's a stud, uh, right now. There isn't a pass catcher outside of DeAndre Hopkins on the Cardinals who is worth starting right now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald caught all seven of his targets for 50 yards behind Hopkins, but you know. He's not going to make a difference for you. Baltimore, Houston, J.K. Dobbins, two carries. <laughs> That's it. He still gained 48 yards on two carries. Uh, Gus Edwards ended up leading the Ravens with 10 carries, mostly to close the game out. Mark Ingram was the main ball carry when this game was competitive. He only had nine carries. He's the one who ended up with a touchdown this week. So good luck trying to figure out which one is it's going to be between Ingram and Edwards in any given week or Ingram and Dobbins in any given week. Last year, we knew who the main guy was. It was Ingram. This year, we don't. The fact that Edwards is still involved as the closeout, that just decreases Dobbins and Ingram's upside because a lot of fantasy value comes from when the Ravens are big, are up big, and someone needs to close the game out. They're going to be up big in a lot of games this year, just like they were last year. So the fact that now there's two, there's three guys who you have to choose from, it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. Um, Lamar only threw the ball twenty four times. Hollywood Brown still at the team in targets with uh, six targets, twenty five percent target share. That's still legit. Uh, Miles Borkenwicks was second. Keep an eye on that. Mark Andrews only caught one ball. Unfortunately, don't get discouraged. Most weeks he's likely going to kill it, <laughs> like he did in week one. Um, David Johnson on the other side of the ball. Only four targets, addition to his 11 carries, 15 opportunities total. 
just not enough for me. You know, for a bell cow, cat, bell cow back, he was on the field for 95% of snaps. And he only had 13 touches. I mean, that's kind of crazy to me. It's just, just pathetic usage by Bill O'Brien. This is the guy you traded DeAndre Hopkins for, and he's just not going to be the main guy you give the ball to and try to beat the Ravens. I'm not sure what else you can do then. Uh, but no targets for Will Fuller. It was a tough matchup for him. Brandon Cooks caught 5 of 8 targets for 95 yards. Looks like he's the guy right now in that offense, especially because Fuller suffered a hamstring injury. Yep, he suffered a hamstring injury week two. We thought maybe this year could be the year. But um, I'm benching him. I'm not dropping him. And in the meantime, Cooks is a wide receiver three with upside. Tough matchup next week against the Steelers, but cake matchup in week four against the against the Vikings. Kansas City, LA Chargers. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire saw eight targets this week. That's huge, especially considering he only had eight, 10 targets, but who cares? I'll take 10 carries plus eight targets in a full PPR lead. That equals like 35 carries in terms of fantasy numbers, so I'm good with that. Um, he didn't score. So I'm trading for his ass this week if I can. Um, now, on the other side of the ball, surprise change at quarterback for the Chargers. It seemed to help the running backs get their targets. Also helped Keenan Allen and some accuracy. Uh, Keenan Allen saw 10 targets in this game. He's back on the map. So let's hope they don't make the switch back to Tyrod Taylor. He wasn't good in week one. Justin Herbert looking like he belongs. Uh, by the way, Taylor is going to be week to week at this point. So he most likely misses week three. Another opportunity for Justin Herbert to shine. Hunter Henry still saw his eight targets with Herbert. Caught six of them for 83 yards. Great sign. Eckler saw four targets for 55 yards. He caught all of his targets. Also had 16 carries for 93 yards. He's so efficient. Josh Kelly, though, 23 carries, but only for 64 yards. So not great, especially considering the cake matchup against the Chiefs. But he also saw three targets. Caught two of them for 49 yards. That's 26 opportunities for Kelly. That's legit. That's not supposed to be sitting on the waiver wire. So that's the Melvin Gordon role, basically. He's available in, in a ton of leagues. Um, he's one of the top waiver pickups, if not the top waiver pickup of the week. Um, I'm not worried for Eckler uh, because there's still a lot of work to go around for these guys. He's still the main guy. Um, but the only problem is that Eckler's not the guy in the red zone. It's consistently been Kelly. So Kelly will have some bigger fantasy days from Eckler, you know than Eckler this year. Um, it's a big role for him, though. You know, I'm starting Kelly as like a RB2 next week against Carolina just because of the matchup. Um, now, if you look at the split between these two guys this week, snap-wise, it was 57% of, for Eckler, 52% for, for Kelly. And if you're wondering why that doesn't add up to 100%, they were obviously on the field at the same time for several plays. Um, they ended up running the ball 40 times between the two of them. So they obviously had to split that somehow, right? Um, attack the Chiefs via the run game. Um, that's the way to go. And they almost won the game. Um, some more details on that split, um, especially in the red zone. So if you look at inside the 20-yard line, the red zone rushes, right? Kelly has eight. Eckler has four. Then you get inside to the 10. Kelly has six rushes inside the 10. Eckler only has one. And then inside the five, Kelly has three and Eckler has zero. So that's something that, you know, with Eckler, you know, it sucks that he has to depend on scoring from outside of, of the red zone, and he's somebody who's capable of doing that, so that's why we're lucky. He hasn't found the end zone yet, um, but that should be coming. Uh, but still, you know, you know, you wish that he'll be more involved in the red zone. Hopefully that changes moving forward. Um, now, if you need a running back, out, and if Josh Kelly is on another team, I would be looking to trade for him because I think that, that it's a valuable role, and 
Right, he scored in week one without a ton of opportunity. Then in week two, he had a ton of opportunity but didn't score. Um, and with all the red zone opportunity that he had, he's going to score some touchdowns this year. So um, I would look to acquire him. You know, send you know some cheap assets. Who are you know if someone has Josh Kelly in that direction, um, just to see if I can acquire him. Um, but you know, who knows what his market value is right now? Someone might really value. Um, the type of opportunity he got. But your selling point is that it wasn't efficient and they're going to go back to Austin Eckler, which they will. They're not going to run 40 times a game every week. Um, But he will get a a decent amount of opportunity, potentially 15-plus touches uh, per game. All right, Patriots-Seahawks Sunday night football game. Uh, Russell Wilson is amazing. And they're letting him cook, and you love to see it. He only threw the ball 28 times, but damn, he looks so good. Five touchdowns against this Patriots secondary. Uh, DK Metcalf beat Malcolm Butler on a 54-yard touchdown. That's amazing. Um, at this point, you know you got to play Metcalf everywhere because Russell Wilson can get him from any, any spot on the field. David Moore caught this amazing 38-yard touchdown at the pylon. I don't know how Wilson got the ball in that location and how he stayed in bounds. Tal Lockett did Tal Lockett things. Caught 7 of 8 for 67 yards and a touchdown. Chris Carson found the end zone in the passing game. Freddie Swain pretended like he was Tal Lockett while Tal Lockett pretended he was Chris Carson. And then when the Patriots figured out Lockett was in the backfield pretending, they left Swain wide open, and it was a thing of beauty this entire game. Uh, Then Cam Newton rushing for another two touchdowns. He threw for a touchdown. He almost threw for 400 damn yards. Listen, this was the best Cam Newton I have ever seen. And I'm not just saying that, but the dude has no weapons. He, he's putting balls on the damn money, which is also something I'm not used to when watching Cam. Like, accuracy it was a huge issue for him. Um, but yeah, Julian Edelman, 8 of 11 targets for 179 yards. Like, what? He's catching long balls over Jamal Adams. Like, this was a crazy game, man. Nikhil Harry, 12 targets, caught 8 of them for 79 yards. He should be on people's radar as a potential waiver wire pickup this week. Cam had a chance to win the game at the goal line, too, but the Seahawks didn't, didn't make a stop. Um, this was the overall, like, this was the game of the week for me. Obviously, the Cowboys' comeback was definitely, like, the best fourth quarter, obviously. Um, but this overall, this game was really good. Um, it was just a, it was a nice way to end a shitty Sunday with all the injuries. Um, I mean, at least the end of the game was. But Chris Carson, by the way, 20 total opportunities. Good to see after not getting a lot of touches in week one. He saw 63% of snaps, so better shared than last week. Not all the way there, but glad he touched the ball as much as he, as, as much as possible while he was in. Um, now, Rex Burkhead played on 71% of snaps after uh, James White was declared inactive. Um, he found out that his parents had been in a horrific car accident that, mor- that day, um, in which his, his dad did not make it, and his mom was left in critical condition. So my heart goes out to him and his family. Just a tragic event. It just it makes me so sad um, that something like that had to happen. Um, by all accounts, like he's this dude is supposed to be like one of the one of the best dudes in the NFL. Like such a good dude, and you know, not, not to say that it shouldn't happen to someone like him or should happen to somebody who's not as good of a dude as him. But it just sucks when you know something like that happens to you know a, a good dude, right? Um, but yeah, I'm 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 praying I'm praying for his family. Um, Saints Raiders, Alvin Kamara led the Saints in targets with Michael Thomas out. Next was Traquan Smith catching five of seven targets for 86 yards. Uh, if you're wondering about Emmanuel Sanders, dude had a pretty bad game. Not only in the box score, he caught one of three targets for 18 yards. 
and that one catch was in garbage time. But he had a few drops. He had a bad penalty that brought back a big Alvin Kamara play. Not good at all. Jared Cook's game was surprising as well. Only caught two of five targets for 13 yards. He did catch a touchdown, but shit, like, would have thought he would have a bigger game with the absence of Michael Thomas. The real story of this game was Darren Waller. 16 targets. He caught 12 for 103 and a touchdown. The next highest target for the Raiders was 3. Again, he had 16 targets. The next highest target number was 3. That's insane. And if you're wondering, he accounted for 42% target share. (laughs) That's insane, man. Looks like Waller is going to have a big year. Uh, with those rookie wide receivers as their other main weapons in the passing game. Uh, They haven't quite got it together just yet. Um, So, yeah, it's basically run the ball with Josh Jacobs, pass the ball to Darren Waller. I think that's what their game plan is going to be. Um, But, okay, that's it. I went through all the games. Now, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope that brought some value to you guys. Um, Tomorrow, well, it's already 1.30 in the morning here in New Jersey, uh, but... Tomorrow, I'm going to come out with the Waiver Wire article along with the Waiver Wire podcast sometime during the day. Um, so keep a lookout for that. Um, I mentioned a bunch of guys, so you know, in this podcast, but you know, I want to look into you know all the all the details. Put out an article. That article will be in audio form as well. I'm hoping that I can get enough time to do that. Um, I should have it. So uh, keep a lookout for that. Until then, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys. Um, have a great week. I hope you guys got the W after this Monday night football game. Um, so I appreciate you. Take it easy. See ya.